Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. chapter we're going to continue our teaching on uh, the authority of the believer i think this is part four i hope you've been getting something out of this teaching when it comes to exercising authority the church falls way short and uh, part of it is because we don't understand the authority that we have in christ but ephesians 6 10 through 18 says finally my brethren and my sistren be strong in the lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the devices of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now, I read that whole passage because I wanted you to zero in on Ephesians 6, 12, but I wanted to make sure that we're taking it in context of the entire passage. And 6, 12 said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. This is not a fight between us. It's not a fight between brothers and sisters, and it's not a fight with the world. But we fight against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, some translations uh, call them wicked spirits in the heavenlies. But where did these wicked spirits come from? The Word of God teaches us that sometime in eternity past, we don't know, we can't put a date on it, but this is a long time ago, Satan led a third of heaven's angels in rebellion against God. Now, I know you're already thinking that wasn't a very good idea, was it? And you would be right. He actually led an open coup. See, pride got into Lucifer at that time, and he wanted to sit on God's throne. And I guess it got to his head and eat at him until finally he convinced a third of God's angels, a third of the heavenly angels, to side with him in this coup, and they would rebel against God and take over heaven. Hallelujah. Dumb move. But this is what pride and the hunger for power can do to you. It will blind you to the point where you think that you're right and everybody else is wrong. I mean, God was wrong. Two-thirds of the heavenly angels were wrong in Lucifer's eyes, and he convinced a third of those angels to rebel with him. Uh, he actually thought he was better than God. That's why he wanted God's throne. He 
thought he could do a better job than God could do. And so uh, Michael, the archangel, he's the warring angel that we know of in the Bible. Michael, the archangel, with the other two-thirds, two-thirds of heaven's angels, with God on their side. <laughs> Are you getting the picture of this? Two-thirds of heaven's angels, <laughs> with God on their sides, defeated the one-third that were banished to the atmosphere of the, of the earth. So you stop and think about it a minute. If that was me, if I was Lucifer, and I couldn't get any better than one-third of the angels, if I couldn't get better than, uh, you know, at least a little bit over half of the angels, I wouldn't even tried it. But how many knows that God could defeat Lucifer without any of the angels in heaven? Because God has full authority in heaven. There's no doubt about that in heaven. He's, he's got minimal authority down here on the earth in the sense that Satan is the God of this world. And we're going to look at that here in a minute. But anyway, they put that rebellion down in a hurry. And the earth's atmosphere, the first heaven, you know, you have the atmosphere that's over our head, and then you have outer space, and then you have heaven. So there's three realms, and we live in the first realm. We live in the atmosphere that surrounds the earth. This is the air that we breathe. But as soon as you go up into the, the second heaven, I guess it's 100 miles, into outer, 100 miles before you hit outer space or something like that. I'm not sure exactly what it is. And then you, you become... Uh, into outer space. Well, Satan and the fallen angels were banished to the atmosphere of the earth. And that's why their leader was called the prince of the power of the air. He was, he was confined to earth's atmosphere. And uh, he's also referred to as spiritual wickedness in high places. It doesn't say spiritual wickedness on the earth. It says spiritual wickedness in high places. And so these Fallen angels are the wicked spirits that Paul is talking about here in Ephesians. So God booted Satan out of heaven. And it must have been quite a boot, too, because Jesus said, I saw Satan as lightning fall from earth. So God gave him a, a supernatural boot, and he left heaven in a hurry. Amen? And so he's confined to the atmosphere of the earth, the Demons are confined to the atmosphere of the earth. But I want to look at what Jesus said here along with having seen Satan fall from heaven because I want us to get the context of this. In Luke 10, 17 through 20, he said, When the 72 disciples returned, you remember Jesus sent the 72 disciples out two by two, told them to go all around, preach the gospel, and heal the sick, cast out devils and everything. And they come back, and they were all full of joy. And they reported to the Lord, even the demons obey us when we mention your name. And they were really tickled about that, you know. And then he said, yes, he told them, I saw Satan like lightning fall from heaven. Now, why would he say that? They're talking about casting out demons and stuff because that's what this has to do with. And in verse 19, he says, look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Now, Jesus was referring to demons and uh, demon spirits and fallen angels. He, he called them snakes and scorpions. And he said that you'll have the power or the authority over them to crush them under your feet. 
And then he said in verse 20, Nothing will injure you, but don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. Now, that's something to rejoice about, isn't it? Our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They're registered in heaven. But this has a lot to do with authority, uh, the authority that Christ gave us over these fallen angels, these wicked, evil spirits. And he wants us to understand that our contact with these demons should be in the light of the knowledge that Christ hath defeated them, past tense. They're defeated evil spirits. And so we have to uh, deal with them in that light. He not only defeated them, but Colossians 2.15, we looked at last week, said that he put them to naught. He reduced them to nothing. He reduced them to zero. Amen? And, and uh, he defeated them, spoiled them, paraded them through the three realms, hell, heaven, and earth, and, and he, he made a shame of them and displayed them openly. And so Jesus dethroned them so that we could reign over those spirits. And originally, God made the earth. You're probably wondering, how did the spirits get down here if they're confined to the atmosphere? I'm going to tell you right now. God made the earth and the fullness thereof. Remember, the Bible says in Psalms, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. In other words, the earth belongs to God, and everything in it, under it, and on it belongs to God. It's all his. And so if you're enjoying anything on earth, it's because God allowed you to be a steward of it. It still belongs to him. You're just enjoying it. Amen? That fancy car you drive, it's his. That nice house you're living in, or nice apartment, whatever, it's his. It's just on loan to you. Everything on the earth, in the earth, and above the earth belongs to God. So be blessed. So, but God made the earth and the fullness thereof and gave dom dominion to Adam over everything on the earth, all, over all the works of his hand. In other words, Adam was the God, little g. Don't, I'm not starting a doctrine here. Don't accuse me of getting off in heresy. He made Adam the God of this world, little g. In other words, Adam was in charge of everything. If God says he gave him dominion, that means that he gave him dominion over everything, all the works of his hand. And so Adam committed high treason and sold that dominion to Satan. And Satan, through Adam, became the God, little g, of this world. In other words, uh, God gave Adam the earth on a lease, and he subleased to the devil. And God is so smart that he made sure that uh, the devil's rule would be short because, I mean, short in terms of eternity. And that's why he put him on a lease, not a leash. He's on a leash, too, but he, he has a lease on the earth. And when that lease expires, God is going to cut loose on this earth. It'll be called the tribulation period. Amen. Amen. And so uh, he committed high treason. He didn't have the moral right to commit high treason, but he did have the legal right because God gave it to him. He said, the earth is in uh, the fullness of it, thereof is mine. I'm putting you in charge of it. I'm giving you dominion. And so he gave that same dominion and all the rights of that lease that God gave Adam, he gave to the devil. And that's why the devil became the god of this world. So now 
when that happened, uh, now Adam, or, or the devil was allowed to come to the earth, just him, not all his little cohorts. They had to remain in the penal colony of the atmosphere of the earth. But he was allowed to come to the earth for the purpose of testing Adam and Eve, or testing Adam. I mean, what's the point of God giving you a commandment and then not testing you to see if you would obey it or not? And so he allowed Satan to come here to test Adam. And that's the time that Satan uh, gained access to the earth. And then, once he gained access, he opened the gates of the atmosphere and allowed all those little demons and fallen angels to come down here. And now they're here to mess with us. Amen. <laughs> or mess with everybody on the earth. They do mess with us, but they don't have a right to. They mess with us because we allow them to and we lit them. Amen? But Satan had a right to rule over us until we became new creatures in Christ. Until we were born again, Satan had a right to rule over us because we were living in his world and he's the God of this world. So he had the right to, to rule over us until we became born again and we accepted Christ. And now we have a new ruler. Amen? A new king ruling over us. And... Uh, we see in Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 through 13, he says, Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us, hath, past tense, meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath, past tense, delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath, past tense, translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. We don't live in Satan's kingdom anymore. We live in God's kingdom, the kingdom of his dear son. And that's why Satan has no, no right to rule or dominate a Christian. And yet the average Christian has more faith in the devil's power and authority than he does in God's power and authority. Amen. Because if you're getting knocked from pillar to post and knocked around by the devil, it's because you got more faith in his power than you do in God's power. I'm not saying the devil won't try to mess with you, but you shouldn't let him. And the Bible not only talks about the first Adam, but also about the second Adam. And the second Adam was Jesus Christ who became our substitute and died in our place. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 45, He's called the last Adam. The first Adam gave everything to the devil. The last Adam, or he's also referred to as the second Adam, took it all back. Amen. Amen. He reversed the damage that the first Adam did. And our trouble is that we relegate everything to the future. And, and that's why I emphasize half, half, half. Because it's past tense, he's already done it. But we relegate everything to the future. And most people think that we're going to exercise our spiritual authority in the millennial kingdom. When Christ comes to earth and when he, he rules and reigns down here on the earth, his throne would be in Jerusalem. We think that that is when we will exercise our spiritual authority. But that's not true. The problem with that theory is the fact that Satan is going to be bound during that thousand years. He's going to be bound in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. There's not going to be anything to resist. There's not going to be any demons to fight with and struggle with because there's not going to be any tempters because, or temptations because the tempter is going to be locked up for a thousand years. 
at the end of a thousand years, he'll be loose again for a short time for a purpose, but we don't have time to get into that tonight. But the authority that God gave us is for the sweet here and now. This is where we need to exercise our authority. Amen. Uh, and, and it's now when there is something that can hurt and destroy us that we have to have authority. But a lot of people believe that we can't have much of anything right now. We're just holding on till the end. We're just going, if I could just make it to the end, you know, that's why we have all these sad songs about Beulah Land and everything. No, we're we not here to just wait till the end. We're here for a purpose. We're here to do something. <laughs> Amen. Good preaching, Pastor. I like that. But they think that Satan, the god of this world, little g, is running everything down here, but he's not. And, and we have to remember, although we are in the world, we are not of the world. That's why Jesus specified that. He said, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. And Satan's running a lot uh, of what is here on the earth, but he's not running us. He shouldn't be, and he's not running the church. He shouldn't be. He's got his foot in a few churches, I know. I'm not that ignorant, but he's not supposed to. Amen? Uh, but he's running quite a bit, but he's not dominating us. We should be dominating him. He don't have authority over us. We have authority over him. We have authority over all the little devils, all the little temptations, all the little things that they come at us with, all their little devices in the world, all the different sins they have on the Internet and on television and at the honky-tonks and the, all kind of influence, but we have authority over that influence. We don't have to do that stuff. If we're doing it, we're doing it because we want to, not because we have to. I always told Pastor Rhett when I got caught in something, I said, the devil made me do it. She said, no, he didn't. Because <laughs> she knows I did that because I wanted to. Amen. He can't make you do anything. If God can't make you do anything, why do you think the devil can make you do something? Amen. Amen? If the devil can make you do something, God should be able to make you not do it. That's it. <laughs> Hallelujah. But we can dominate him. We can have authority over him. And like Jesus said in Luke 10, 19, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing, 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 nothing by any means shall hurt you. Right. Nothing. What does nothing mean? Nothing. nothing. So does the church today have less authority than it did right after Jesus' death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension into heaven, and his seating at the right hand of the Father? Does the church have any less authority now than it did the day that that happened? No. We have just as much authority as the early church. The early church knew how to exercise that authority. That's why they had more healings, more salvations, more miracles, more casting out of devils, more success in building churches. Why? Because they believed they had the authority. And we got to get that back in the church today, in the modern day church. We got to get to the place where we believe we have the same authority as the early church had and start doing the works of the early church. Yeah. I use that phrase, early church, but it's, it's still the same church. It was the 
the fledgling church, the church that was just born. We're the same church. We're still working out the book of Acts. We're still the same church that was in the early stages. Amen? Amen. It's not two separate churches. But, you know, we need to get these things into our hearts. We need to get these scriptures into our hearts, our spirits, not just in our head. Uh, you know, there's a big difference between uh, having something in your spirit and having a mental assent to it. Because your head don't work like your spirit does. Remember I said last week, if you get a, a spirit into your heart, your, your, or a, uh, the word into your heart or your spirit by meditating on it, it's there forever. If you get it, just get it in your head and you'll be able to recite it, I'm telling you, a week or two from now, you won't remember it. But if you really get it in your heart by meditating on it, you'll never forget that scripture. I got scriptures in my heart I forgot about long ago with my head. But I'm telling you, when I need them, they pop up. Why? Not out of my head. They're coming up out of my spirit. Amen. Amen. That's where you want them. And, you know, we need to build these truths into our lives, into our spirits, before they become a reality to us. And naturally speaking, we have to feed our physical bodies to stay healthy and strong. Amen? You can tell I, I do a good job feeding this body. Amen? But we also have to feed our spirits with the Word of God and keep them healthy and strong. Keep our spirits healthy and strong. And like Brother Hagin said, he used to say, he says, uh, you know, we feed our uh, physical bodies three square meals a day, and we throw our spirit a little snack every now and then. Turn that around and see how much your life will change. Feed your spirit three times a day and give your, your flesh a little snack once in a while. Boy, we'd have a powerful church then, Amen. But Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, this one we looked at last week, all power, how much power? All. all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. So in heaven includes the atmosphere, the second heaven, outer space, and the third heaven, which is where heaven's dwelling place is. All that authority has been given to Jesus. The whole universe, all the aliens out there and all the UFOs out there and Bigfoot and all the rest of them, he has all power and authority over all of them. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. But anyway, all the authority that can be exercised upon the earth has to be expressed through the church. Because Christ is not here in his physical body. The church is here in the place of Christ's body. He's still the head, but where's the head? It's in heaven. The body is here on the earth. We're the body of Christ, amen? And even though we've prayed, now, Lord, you do this and you do that, and we leave everything up to him when he has conferred the authority on us to be able to do the things that we're asking him or Demanding him to do. As a result, many problems exist because we permit them to. Because we're not doing anything about them. The church is supposed to do something about them. We want God to do something about it. We want the politicians to do something about it. We want our favorite heroes to do something about it. And God is sitting up in heaven tapping his foot and saying, you do something about it. 
I gave you the authority to do something about it. Amen. Now, I know sometimes we have to delegate authority because we have to vote and we have to send somebody to represent us the way that we believe. We have to send that person to Washington to, to represent us. I understand that. And sometimes we delegate authority. But we try to delegate a lot of things not only to men but also to God just because we don't want to do them. We need to do our part. James said, don't tell somebody, bless you, be warmed and filled, and then you don't give them anything to warm them or you don't give them anything to eat. Say, be blessed and filled and then feed them. Give them a place to stay. Help them. Donate to the poor. Do something with an organization that is housing people that don't have a home. Don't just tell, oh, God, please help this person and help that person and feed this person. God is saying, no, you feed them. That's why you're here. You help them. You're my hands and feet and mouth in the earth. Amen. Did I tell you I'm teaching out of Brother Hagin's book, The Authority of the Believer? I don't, I'm still teaching out of that book. This is part four. Uh, so I can't take credit for all this. I don't want you to start thinking I'm this smart. I'm not that smart. I'm quoting a lot of what Brother Hagin said. But anyway, <laughs> Brother Hagen told this story, uh, how he began to really understand the type of authority that we have uh, while praying for his older brother's salvation. He had an older brother that was a rascal, and uh, he heard the Lord in his spirit challenge him. He says, quit asking me to save him, and you do something. So that puzzled Brother Hayden. What, what can I do? You're God. You're the Savior. But anyway, uh, he always prayed, God, save him. And he even fasted. But he said he would slip back into praying this way. But after the Lord challenged him to do something about it himself, uh, after he told him that he had the authority to do something, he said, in the name of Jesus, I break the power of the devil over my brother, that he may see the light in Jesus' name. So he prayed it boldly, and, and he was kind of like demanding that, you know, he claimed his salvation. He didn't say, God, save him. He says, I claim his salvation. And he bound the devil's power because the Bible says the devil has blinded the mind of people, blinded people's minds, not their eyes, so that they can't see the light. And so... He prayed that those dark, that darkness be lifted, those blinders be lifted, that his brother would be able to see the light and see his need. So in other words, he gave the order. He didn't keep saying it or praying it. You know, when a king gives an order, he only gives it one time because he knows it's going to get carried out or there's going to be heads rolling around on the floor. And so he acted like that king. He demanded, you know, the Bible says we're, we're, we're going to be kings and priests. And those two, if you know the Old Testament, kings and priests don't mix. They're two separate offices. But uh, God said we're going to be kings and priests. Yes. So what does a king do? He gives an order. Yes. He don't make requests. He says you're going to do this and you're going to do that, period. Right. And that's how Brother Hagin spoke about his brother. And, and the devil tried to tell him his, bro his brother never would be saved. But he shut his mind off to that, yeah. and he started laughing. Yeah. He said, I don't think you'll be saved. 
I know he'll be saved. You see the, the faith in his voice and uh, the faith in his attitude and everything? He understood his authority in that area. He took the name of Jesus, broke the devil's power over his brother, and claimed his deliverance and salvation. And he said within 10 days, his brother was saved. The word works. Amen. Now, he had to mix faith with that as well. He had to believe what he was saying would come to pass. But as long as Satan can keep you in unbelief and doubt or hold you in the arena of your mind, your mental ascent, he'll defeat you every time. He is a master of deception, a master of it. And, and, but if you hold him in the arena of faith and the spirit realm, you'll defeat him every time. It's when you start wavering and doubting that you come out of your spirit and you enter your head and you start reasoning in your head, you just don't know my brother, God. You just don't understand my brother. He's so far from you. He did this and he did that. How's he going to get saved? And you just start repeating what the devil's been telling you. Yes, that's right. Stay in the arena of faith in your heart. Amen. Yes. Battle in your heart, not in your head. Yes. That's why Paul said it's, this battle is that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Yes. This is a spiritual battle. Amen. This is a spiritual battle. Yes. <laughs> and you know, the devil hates the name of Jesus. He, he not only hates it, he trembles at the name of Jesus. Yes. And so when we use that name, heaven and earth shake. Yes. The devil shakes. Amen. Because yes. he knows that authority is in that name. Yes. And it's in the blood. That's, that's our, and one of our most uh, offensive weapons is the name of Jesus and the blood of Christ. Amen? Amen? So the most effective way to pray can be when you pray with boldness and demand your rights. Don't demand your rights with God. Demand your rights with the devil. Demand your rights. Know your rights and demand them. You remember Peter at the gate called Beautiful in the third chapter of Acts, around about the sixth verse? Uh... They come to the gate, they're on their way to the temple, and they come to the gate beautiful, and there's a poor crippled beggar laying there, and he looks up to them like he's expecting to receive some alms from them or an offering or some money. And Peter looks at him, and he says, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. And then he said, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Amen. Now that ain't a prayer request. That was a demand. He demanded him. And you know what? Uh, he said in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. But later in the Gospels, we can see where Paul didn't even use the name of Jesus. Paul, instead of using the name of Jesus, he just commanded people to do something. And, and uh, people say, well, he didn't say in the name of Jesus, so it shouldn't have happened. No, he was bearing the name of Jesus. And when you get to the place where you're bearing the name of Jesus, you're not just speaking the name of Jesus. The devil recognizes Christ in you, the hope of glory, and he trembles at that. He don't want you to tell him what to do because he knows he has to obey. Yes. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So anyway, he was de demanding not of God. He was demanding his rights over the devil. So Jesus made this statement in John 14. He said, And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do. 
If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. And this is actually not talking about prayer. The word ask here is translated from a Greek word that actually means demand. Demand. So he's saying, and whatsoever you shall demand in my name, that will I do. If you shall demand anything in my name, I will do it. And then on the other hand, in John 16, 23 through 24, he is talking about prayer. He says, and in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you shall receive that your joy may be full. So the Father is mentioned in this passage of Scripture in connection with prayer, but he wasn't mentioned in the other passage of Scripture where it was saying to demand. So here it's actually talking about asking the Father for something in prayer. But in the previous verse, it's whatever you demand in my name, this will I do. So the Greek actually reads, because the New Testament is written in the Greek first, and, and we translated it from the Greek, and it actually reads in the Greek, whatever you demand as your rights and privileges, this will I do. So we got to learn what our rights are before we can demand them. When circumstances don't change immediately, some people get discouraged and they slip back into the natural. And I mean, they've been in faith for a day and a half, and now they come to the conclusion that this faith stuff doesn't work, and they stop believing. They start doubting, and they go back to their natural way of thinking, and they take the battle from the arena of faith and spirit in their heart and bring it back to their head, and the devil kicks the pudding out of them. So as Smith Wigglesworth said, I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I feel. I'm moved only by what I believe. In other words, I'm standing my ground on what I believe. I don't care what's going on around me. I don't care what the circumstances are dictating to me. I know what I believe, and I'm standing on that, and nobody's going to move me. Amen. And so the door to exercising authority pivots on two of the phrases that we're familiar with because we prayed them in the Ephesians prayer. Uh, and, and the key phrase is, and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. Set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, Ephesians 1.20. And then in Ephesians 2.6, it says, and hath raised us up together with him. Where? Heavenly places. Where is he seated? Heavenly places. Where is he raised us, us up together with him? In heavenly places. God is sitting on the throne. Jesus is at his right hand, the place of authority and power. And Jesus said us at his right hand, the place of authority of power. Yes. So the authority, you know, they have a pecking order in heaven. And the authority goes from God to Jesus to us. Yes. We're sitting next to him. Yes. Not the Holy Ghost. We're sitting next to him. Yes. Where's the Holy Ghost? He's in the earth. His work is in the earth right now. He'll eventually be back in heaven, but his, his work is in the earth with the body of Christ. Amen. Amen. The physical body of Christ. So if we meditate on these two pray, prayers and learn to pray them for ourselves and feed on their truth, they'll become a, a, a part of your inner consciousness. They'll become second nature to you.
and uh, then they will dominate your life. But don't try to accept them mentally. It doesn't work up here. you got to get the revelation of them in your spirit. That's what comes from meditating and meditating. And notice that not only is Christ seated at the right hand of the Father above all the powers in Satan's realm, but we're there with him because, like I said, God hath raised us up together with him. So not only have we been made to sit, but notice where we are sitting. Remember our Ephesians prayer? Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. It don't get more powerful than that. Uh, so in the mind of God, we were raised when Christ was raised. And when Christ sat down, we sat down with him. And that's where we are now, positionally speaking. We're seated at the right hand of the Father with Christ. And the act of Christ's seating implies, implies that his work that he was called to do has been suspended, not finished yet. Remember when he said on the cross, it is finished? He was talking about that portion of his ministry is finished. And at that point, it was, his work was suspended. He went to heaven, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. But he's got more work to do, so his work is in a state of suspension. But he's coming back, and he's going to finish the work that he started. Amen? The work that the church is supposed to be doing right now while he's seated up there. So all the authority that was given to Christ belongs to us through him, and we may exercise it. Why would he give us authority and then tell us not to use it? He wouldn't. So we help him by carrying out his work on the earth. And one aspect of his work that the, the word of God tells us to do is to stand our ground against the devil. That, ain't that what that... What Paul said that we may put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles or the devices of the devil. Yes. And then he told us what that armor was and everything. He said, above all, taking the shield of faith. He didn't say above all, taking the sword of the spirit. He said, taking the shield of faith so that it will quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. Amen. Everything the devil throws at you, faith will, will catch it and put it out. Amen. Amen. But we got a sword for a reason, too. Christ wielded that sword in the, in the desert, in the wilderness, when he was being yes. tested, tempted of the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. Yes. Hath God said? That's right. See, the devil tries to get you to doubt what God said. That's right. He told Eve, God didn't mean that. God meant this. And, and he'll convince you that what God said really doesn't mean what he said. And uh, Jesus told him, get thee behind me, Satan. Yes. And what did Satan do? He left. But for how long? A season. A season. Yes. And then you take the sword to him again. Yes, right. Make him leave again for another season. Yes. Amen. Yes. So in, in the meanwhile, you're quenching his fiery darts because he's constantly shooting something at you, trying to get you off track. But, you know, I don't want to sound arrogant, but Christ actually can't get his work done without us. He needs us. Yes, he does. Amen. Not to be arrogant. He needs us. Yes, amen. And, and, you know, we would think, well, he can get along without me, but I can never get along without him. No, that's only a half a truth. Amen. 
He needs you as much as you need him. And, and uh, you know, he can't do his work on earth without us. Right. This is the way he chose to have it done. Yeah. Uh, he, he can't get along without you more than you can get along without him. And the truth that Paul is bringing out here in Ephesians is that Christ is the head and we are his body. And even Paul gave that analogy of the, of the body of Christ being like a physical body. Uh, but what if your body said, I can get along without the head. I don't need my head. Well, cut it off and see what happens. You will die. And what if your head said, well, I can get along without my body. I don't need it. I can get along without hands and feet. No, you can't. You'd be rolling around there. on. The, you can't get nothing done rolling around in, like a head. You need the whole body. And likewise, Christ needs us because the work of Christ and God is carried out on the earth through his body, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So we, you know, we can never get along without him any more than he can get along without us. Yeah, he can get along without us and we can get along without him, but nothing to get done. The work won't get done. And Paul said, you know, can the... Can the head say it has no need of the hand? And the, can, the, can he say I have no need of the foot? And all? Yeah, he cut off my hand. I'll still get something done, but I'll be handicapped. I do better with my hand. But you cut off the head, you cut off everything. You're done. Nothing works then. So we've got to stay connected to the head. Ephesians 6, 12 said, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So it, it ain't a fight between me and you or you and your brother or somebody in the street. This is a spiritual battle. And until we get it whipped in the spirit, we're never going to make it accomplish anything down here on the earth in the flesh. So if you take this verse out of its setting and go on talking about this awful fight that we're in against the devil and describing how powerful the devil is, then you've missed the whole thing. Paul was making a point. He was saying, I mean, because that is not what he was saying in Ephesians. He was not telling us how powerful the devil is. He's telling you how powerful you are. And he mentions the devil and the principalities and the powers and the spiritual wickedness in high places and the darkness because he wants us to understand that we have an adversary, but we have authority over that adversary. Remember when Paul wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus, he didn't divide it into chapters and verses. Man did that some years later just for the sake of simplifying the Bible a little bit and being able to find something. Because if you wanted to quote a scripture back then, you didn't have chapter and verse. It was just one long letter, one long scroll. So you would have a hard time finding anything. Now you have, you know, Ephesians 6, 12, boom, there it is. You know, you have a reference point. They didn't have that back then. Paul wrote a letter without chapters and verses. So, uh, and, and I've talked to, talked to you about this before, you know. Uh, we can't take a scripture out of context. And so, you know, chapter and verse is convenient, but it gives us the opportunity to take something out of context because we'll isolate one scripture and we'll quote that and miss the whole point of it because we took it out of context. We took it out of the reason it was said. Uh, what, what was said before it, what was said after it. We have to take every scripture in context to the whole letter, not just 
So you take a, a passage of Scripture in context with the chapter. You take it in, the chapter in context with the book. You take the book in context with the whole Bible. You gotta, it's all got to fit. You just can't isolate something and claim it. Amen? Hallelujah. You can't take it out of context and make it say something that it doesn't say. And we've done, that, we've done that a lot in the church. And we need to stop doing that. We need to stop twisting scriptures to say what we want them to say for personal gain or whatever the reason you did that. Because you're going to be held accountable for it one day. Uh, people do this with their children a lot. They'll take one verse of scripture and, and scare hell out of their kids with it, but it's totally out of context. Just to get their kids to do something they want them to do or, or get them to obey. And then they grow up and they find out it was all a bunch of baloney and that's how they start thinking about the word of God. And it's just a long story from there. But anyway, I got to get ready to close here. Yeah, I took a little extra privilege tonight. I mean, we're back in the house, right? So I took a couple extra minutes. I didn't put myself in that 30-minute time limit tonight. <laughs> now, we, we'll get you out there at 8 o'clock, by 8 o'clock, just like we always did in the past, most of the time, once in a while. <laughs> but anyway, the Holy Spirit through Paul already has said in the second chapter that we are seated in heaven above these powers that we have to deal with. He's the prince and the power of the air, principalities and powers and mights and dominions. Uh, but we're not looking at them from this aspect. We're looking at them like this. Yes. Why? Because we're far above them. Yes. We have authority over them. Yes. And this is the attitude that we have to develop. We're far above, not just above, we're far above. We, we have authority because Christ gave it to us. So not only is Christ seated at the right hand of the Father, far above all these powers, but we're there too because God made us to sit together with him in heavenly places. Half, past tense, we're there now. So when you close your eyes and you think about it, don't think about yourself standing here looking up. Think about yourself in the heavenly place alongside of Christ's throne, looking down on these principalities and powers, the spiritual wickedness in high places. They're not high to you. They're lower than you. They're be beneath you. And what a glorious position for us to be in. Yes. I'm telling you, I said last Sunday, I think it was, that, you know, we are so blessed. This generation is so blessed to be here and see the things that we're seeing and see what are you talking about, Pastor? The, the world's in a, is upside down. This is happening. We are blessed because we're going to see things that no other generation ever saw. We're going to see things that the prophets and the apostles longed to see. And we're going to be here to see them. We're going to be in the midst of them to see them. What a glorious position for us to be here. You're not here by happenstance. God chose you to be here at this time for that reason. Yes. You were chosen for such a time as this. Yes. Well, why wasn't my uncle here? Why wasn't my dad chosen? Why? I don't know why. I just know we were chosen for such a time as this. This generation is the one that Jesus spoke about. He said all these things uh, won't come to, uh, uh, will come to pass for this generation. He wasn't talking to the generation back then. He was talking about the generation that was living at the time that Israel became a nation. Yes. Yes. 
And I just got in under the wire. I was born in 1948. Israel became a nation in 1948. I'm part of that generation, that blessed generation. Hallelujah. I ain't looking for a hole in the ground. I'm looking for a hole in the sky, the eastern sky. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you. Lord, I pray that I got through to these people's hearts. I pray that everyone that heard me will receive this as a revelation in their heart, not just in their head to be cast off and forgot about in the morning, or matter of fact, be forgot about before bedtime. I want them to get this in their heart where it will do them some good, where it will help them, where they will recognize the authority that you gave them, the power that you gave them, the power that you wrought in Christ when you raised him from the dead. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, you said dwells in us. Hallelujah. We're so thankful that that same spirit, the Holy Spirit, that raised Christ from the dead on the third day, dwells in us as resurrection power hallelujah and we have authority over all the power of the enemy every everything that the enemy can bring against us we have power over him and we thank you and we praise you for that and we recognize that we are a blessed people living in a blessed time in jesus name amen and amen god bless you we love you and appreciate you facebook we will see you sunday This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.